This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Happy New Year! And welcome to the first interview of 2020 here on Front Office Features. Uh, I think it's a great one. Uh, we break into the NFL this week as we speak to Laura Juris. She's the Vice President of People and Culture with the Minnesota Vikings. We start our conversation with obviously the most important thing in Front Office Features interviews, connecting our guest to the one and only Battle Creek, Michigan. We do it again. Uh, she walks us through going through from, you know, Marshall, Michigan, to Disney, to the Detroit Tigers, to the Atlanta Braves, and now uh, with the Minnesota Vikings. Her journey has just been awesome. Uh, we dive deep into the culture of organizations and how to build a collaborative, unified team. That word culture is such a deep and meaningful word. Uh, heck, her, it has it in her title. Uh, and her whole job is to create that great culture that people want to work together and be collaborative. Uh, it's not a perfect science, but Lara's insights are, and you know, in my opinion, spot on. She has a great phrase about being professionally curious, how that can help you in the interview, and also how that can help you in your job in general. Her curiosity led her to building a human resources department at the major league level from nothing, just because she was curious about it. And uh, she played a key role in the opening of Comerica Park in Detroit. She played a key role in the opening of SunTrust Park in Atlanta. And now uh, in her role at U.S. Bank uh, Stadium with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, she's an excellent, excellent sports executive, uh, and I'm so thankful that she was able to come on. So we're starting off the new year right with a home run. Um, and then coming off our largest download month ever from uh, December, uh, it's a uh, time to help spread the word. Uh, follow us on our social media channels, give our podcast a five-star review. All that stuff uh, helps a great deal. I just saw on LinkedIn, our LinkedIn page uh, just uh, surpassed 500 uh, followers, which is pretty good for a podcast for two idiots uh, that sell things for a living too. So um, have a good time. So um, I hope you enjoy this discussion with Laura. I know I did. Uh, she's a vice president of uh, people and culture with the Minnesota Vikings. So enjoy. Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. Uh, I am Rob Crane and I am with Laura Juris, the Vice President of People and Culture with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Laura, how are you? Good. Good morning, Rob. Good to talk to you. It is, uh, it is so much fun to have you. You and I got to know each other when you were with the Atlanta Braves and we were both kind of doing the business of baseball seminars at the uh, baseball winter meetings. We got to have fun together. Yes. Yes. Every year it was a good annual visit and lots of laughs. Oh, lots of laughs. And my, uh, as I was uh, prepping uh, for today's discussion, uh, I was going through some things and uh, my wife was looking over my shoulder and she was like, hey, 
I know her. I met her at the winter meetings. <laughs> yes, yes. The best, so, the best catch-up story ever was uh, how you and your wife met. Yes, and uh, if you haven't heard, go to episode one of the podcast, and uh, I tell the whole thing there. Uh, and it's uh, it's it, I, no one's beat my story. I don't think yet. Do you? No. Do you? Do you think? Never have heard a story better than that. Ah, oh, it's a good one. It's a good yes. one. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. So, um, first and foremost, I'm not even sure I really knew this. Maybe I did. Uh, you're a Michigander. You went to Albion College, and yes. every episode we've done we may have done 30 or 40 episodes so far um every story i have to weave in battle creek michigan do you know where battle creek michigan is <laughs> yes it's right next to where i grew up michigan right so literally marshall was my old sales territory when i was a group sales guy yes everything is about battle it's always about battle creek michigan yes always. you know what i found you know, Dogs. I was. That's where you were with Marty, right? I was. That's where Marty. Uh, that's where Marty hired me. Uh, he's the greatest guy in the history of the world. Uh, and, but yesterday, Amy and I, my wife and I, were cleaning out like the storage closet in our basement, and I found a board game about Battle Creek, Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Battle Creek, the center of the world. Yes, the, 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 the center of the center at a minimum, right? The, this is the serial center, but I believe, in my opinion, it is the center of the universe. Everything revolves around Battle Creek. It's always <laughs> about Battle Creek. Yeah, there's there's uh, easy connections there for sure. Amen. Amen. People under, underestimate Michigan. I I agree. I agree. I had a good time when I was there, but so take me through this: Albion College, Marshall, Michigan. Disney intern. How yes. the heck? How did you go from Disney intern to finding a passion and a career in human resources? Well, you know what? Probably before that, honestly, when I was in college, I was one of those faculty brats. My dad worked at Eaton Corporation. Okay. And so, you know, the kids could work during the summers and the breaks for the holidays. And the HR person there, her name was uh, Leslie Knickerbocker was outstanding and she understood business. And so when I went to college, I started out in the amazingly similar field for sports of public accounting. Okay. Um, and, and that's kind of, you know, my HR story is I wanted to understand business in order to be a good HR person. But the Disney story was just, I'm a huge Disney fan. Uh, always have loved Disney. We went there many times when I was a child. And in college, my friend said, I know you're not really going to go into entertainment, <laughs> predicting the future, uh, but you have to do this. This is the best program ever. You have free access to the park. You live there. So I interviewed, and the fall of my senior year, I did the Disney College program, and we uh, helped open up the, at the time, Disney MGM Studios. Wow. Yep. Met Michael so, Eisner, did the fabulous uh, character tryouts. So, so were you a character? Were you like Mickey or Minnie? Or? <laughs> no, no. Interestingly, and this would not surprise you, I was a tour guide. Oh, there you uh, go. There you so go. Yeah, Perfect. I did the uh, backstage tour, which was a one-hour walking tour. We had oh, a memorized nice. script. Um, we also did the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Oh, uh, that would have been awesome. Yes. That would have been awesome. I was a At the time, Kevin Richardson was a turtle. No kidding. Yeah, Mr. Backstreet Boy himself. So no, yeah. you know, you learn something new every day. So what? What do you think from your times at Disney doing those backstage tours? Do you think is there anything you still might implement today? You know, twenty some years later. 
Well, you know, I think Disney is the epitome of customer service is really what I've continued to take with me. And so I think, uh, you know, even when I started at the Detroit Tigers back in the day, right, I get there yeah. six months later, our mascot quits. And everyone said, no offense to your fancy public accounting and all, but what do you know about <laughs> mascots? And I said, I have seen, you know, the top of mascot tryouts. Uh, so the concept of just customer service and always making someone happy and it doesn't matter and picking up trash around the park, those kind of things are ingrained in me today. And I continue to use that in my sports career. It's just one of those areas and I've been fortunate enough to work with Disney actually in both baseball and football. That's so, oh, in, in what way? You know, they do a lot of the customer service training, just kind oh, yeah. of trying to walk you through the mentality of what it's like really to say, welcome to my home. And, you know, they have the uh, model, I think, that everyone tries to emulate. And so I think that's the part of, you know, understanding their business is one piece, but their business uh, values and mission are very similar to what we do in sports. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think every, if if a minor league ba- if someone if a fan walked into a, a minor league baseball or major league baseball or really any kind of sporting event and said that was just like an experience at Disney, I think all of us as operators and uh, employees of the team would walk out and be like, "That's the greatest compliment you could ever give." Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So you your career has mainly been in baseball. Just switched over to uh, the NFL uh, a year or so ago uh, with with the Vikings. Um, take us through kind of the early days in Detroit. What were you doing, and, and how kind of has your career uh, career gone? What has changed from when you started with Detroit? Uh, then you went to Atlanta. You were able to open up a brand new building. Um, in, in Atlanta, uh, talk through a little bit, kind of step by step, about you know where you've gone, and just kind of give people a little bit of history about your uh, your professional kind of resume, if you will. Sure. Um, well, one thing, and I you know I talk about this often, I think, especially with our interns, is over time you continue to kind of refine what what you enjoy. I think there's a lot of things people can do well, but they might not be passionate about. Yeah. And um, so interestingly, my my changeover from public accounting to baseball, um, after I was there a couple weeks, our president said, hey, so I just wanted to tell you a little story. And I, you know, I said, okay, great. And he said, you I, know. I love stories. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, three people turned down this position before you. And so <laughs> I, I just kind of said, uh Am I, am I egotistical? Like, why are you telling me this story? And he said, no, no, there's a point to this. He said, the reason why they turned it down is they needed to create the human resource department. And he said, you were ecstatic to create the department. He said, I want you That's to awesome. understand what your true passion probably is, is around building and creating things. And that was probably the first time that I had heard that in that setup, but it was stunning to me that anyone would turn down a job with a major league baseball franchise, no less being the first person to do that role in a, you know, the Detroit Tigers is the Titanic starting, right? Yeah. Right. Especially from someone who grew up in Marshall, Michigan. Yes. Yes. I mean, the hometown team, it was, it was shocking to me. Um, So I think over time, you know, actually, too. I was there when we opened Comerica Park. Um, and so over time, I would say initially 
right? 1998 is where I started in Detroit. Um, 10 years before that, maybe it was very strongly just a sport. Yeah. And it has morphed into much broader of a business. Um, and going through, I think my foundational piece is really the aspect of the people really are the most important asset. You know, the people, the culture, human capital, there's all sorts of names for it now. Um, but over time, you know, my understanding of the sport in baseball and similar to what I'm doing now, yeah. is really critical to understand really what people are doing and what skill sets they might need. And the human element is really the part that I've always found to be the most satisfying. And, yeah. and, and today, I think talking to you and other people that I haven't talked to in years, it's That's great so, to talk to you. Like, yeah. Picking up like I saw you yesterday. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's what I love about this. And the connections are always so important. The network's so important. But one of the things that you're talking about leads me to something uh, that I've heard you say before and how, uh, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Give me your thoughts about the power of being professionally curious. How curious were you when you started a human <laughs> resources team with uh, yes. uh, the, the Tigers? Talk about uh, that phrase. I find that phrase incredibly powerful. Yes, yes. And that that is one of my, I would say, recent ones. So good memory. Um, <laughs> one of my recent pieces that I encourage people on, the professional curiosity, I think, is what allows deeper relationships to happen. Um, and, and, you know, sports really is all about relationships, I think. Amen. And, you know, that part of asking questions and there's nothing more flattering, I think, to people sometimes than asking, how, how do you do this? You know, what do you do? How does, what does it take to get it done? Um, and that part of building that relationship from a very, um, I would say, humble approach usually is just much stronger than, you know, reading someone's job description per se. Um, but even coming in, I remember um, Steve Lebradich, one of my favorite baseball people, um, sat behind home plate with me. And at, at that time, we're so old, right? They had a radar button <laughs> holding behind yeah, home plate. Yeah, right. And he was explaining, here's what we're looking for in a player. And here's what we're trying to do. And here's some critical things to focus on. Um, and having that ability to ask questions and just have quality time with someone is super helpful, super helpful. But the curiosity piece, I think overall for both managers and staff, it's a great way to learn what, the way people ask questions, whether it's in, in an interview or during the workday is the best way to try to put things together and say, okay, if this is their question, here's what they're thinking about. And you can maybe relate on a different scale because your listening skills come into play. So it's a, it's a good matchup, but hopefully that makes some sense. It makes a, it makes a lot of sense. So as, as you know, a lot of our uh, listeners are uh, people are just about to get themselves into their, their first sports job or really kind of their first job ever. And you just said uh, the way that um, the, you, you ask a question in an interview, what are some of the, you know, positive questions that say, ding, 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 this person kind of gets it. And then what are also some of the ways is like sets off the you know, red alarm bell, rrr, rrr, this person might not be the uh, best fit. Right. Uh, are there some kind of deciding questions or uh, interactions that you've had that are like, this one's great and this one, eh, not so good. 
Yes, yes, for sure. I mean, it's usually easier to pick up the ones that are red flags, I think, in the big picture of stuff. Um, the red flags are usually when they're in it for when do I get to meet the players? Oh, geez, um, yeah. What perks do I get? What kind of swag? You know, do I get? Do I get <laughs> you get that oh, question, like, what, know, kind yeah. of, what kind of swag do I get? Yes, yes. Oh, Especially, you know, and I find it more probably in football, to be honest with you, but um, there were always questions along those lines. And, and ultimately, you know, that professional curiosity also goes to me understanding what your passion point really is. You know, and so I tell people all the time, my true love really is HR, um, working with people, and I get to do it in, a, in an amazing, amazing industry. Um, the best questions to me are the ones that go beyond the surface. You know, it's not just the what's the day in the life of type thing. Yeah, right. But if they're asking questions, so for example, I had one recently where one of our partnership activation coordinators asked, why do our sponsors want to have a specific relationship with us, right? You know, like what's my opinion basically. Um, And so asking kind of a really deeper business core question is, is very insightful to me. Or if somebody is asking, um, you know, how it affects your family life, you know, yeah. some of those things that are a little bit different than, you know, some of the run of the mill type questions. Um, certainly they want to know about benefits. They want to know what their salary is going to be. Those things are understandable, but when they get down into some really deep operational pieces and, and similar to you, you know, what you've done your research on is very helpful to understand what's out there. Yeah. I, um, I, 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 I think when people, uh, we always talk a lot about separating yourself. And I think quite good, deep, insightful questions, uh, like you gave some examples there, are hugely important because most people come in and say, uh, you know, take me through a day to day or those types of things. Um, and it just isn't as, you know, it just seems very surface level. And people got to understand there's hundreds and thousands of people. Uh, looking to get into the NFL with the uh, Minnesota Vikings, and you really have to do a good job of uh, separating yourself. You got a good story about someone like this person separated themselves, and it's a story I'll never forget, whether it's with the Tigers or the Braves or anybody else? I probably do have a ton of them. I'm trying (laughs) to think of the most recent one that was out there. I I think one of the ones that more recently, you know, that I had that was, was very impressive was the individual had kind of walked through five or six different interviews of our executives that they found online and pulled together the values that they felt that our executives articulated. Really? And and I was kind of right, exactly. I was kind of dumbfounded. Um and and candidly, I didn't really had I hadn't really heard some of the um interviews that they were talking about. And so after the interview, I went and looked online and found all of them. And that it would have taken an extensive amount of research to find some of these cuz these were not on our website. Um all of them, a couple of them were. Um, some of them were on YouTube. Some of them were on local TV shows. Wow. They really went above and beyond, huh? Oh, yes. Holy and, cow. You know, they had a really great professor who, 
you know, gave some advice that I would have given to say, you know, again, all sports is amazing, but there are some cultures that are going to resonate and fit with you better than others. I think you know that too, right? That, hey, that's a, a thousand percent true. <laughs> yeah, that's a, thou- that's a thousand percent true. There's and cultures that are going to feel great. And there's some that just will never click. And so their professor had told them that. And so when they were preparing for the interview, they looked all over and said, part of the reason why I feel good about this interview is because your executives exhibit the values that I'm looking for. Holy cow. Did you, uh, did you hire the person? Of course. Oh, awesome. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Good. It, it It was one where, you know, I think it's probably equal parts, what questions they ask, what their professional curiosity is. And then the other half of, you know, what the answers they give to me. Um, We still do behavioral-based interviewing, of course. And so the people that have very thoughtful responses that show me that they know, again, what they're passionate about and what they're good at and that they're comfortable in their own skin, those are the people that we always want to work with. You know, we can pretty much train them on anything if they have those kind of basic self-awareness. Yeah. You know, skills. Right. Um, so you're going into something that's pretty deep, but the question that you get in the interview is, what's the culture like? That is such like a <laughs> right. deep, 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 deep question. Um, can you give me your thoughts on culture? Because in my opinion, it's like nearly impossible to like quantitatively measure. And you kind of, how, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you do it? How do you, you know, build the culture that you're trying to, uh, to you know, the the vision that you have. Uh, how do you build towards that vision? Uh, how do you know besides just kind of like I don't know, gut knowing? Yeah, yeah. I th- I think you're you're spot on. Um, when I joined the Vikings, actually, I was a little intimidated by my title being people and culture. Culture is <laughs> huge, yeah, right? It's, it's like huge. It's all about it. The the issue and partially why I love sports is because foundationally across every sport, it's an innovative environment. It has to be. Um, it's a discretionary spend. You know, you don't have to go to a sporting event in order to live, right? right? So there is a portion of it that my standard line is the people make up the culture and it is an ongoing everyday, every year initiative to keep building your culture. Um, so when people come in to interview and they ask me that question, I say, here's what you need to do. <laughs> you need to observe as you're walking around the office. As you talk to people, you need to figure out what themes that you do here. Um, but it's not something that you can quantify you you just there is an aspect of a feeling and i think you know without naming names i could easily name a couple teams in baseball that i would say there's no chance i could survive in that sometimes it's the executive top down which is a you know a fairly i would say static answer to a lot of people our executives are great and they create this culture but to me it's really from all over it doesn't matter every single person in the front office defines that culture. And there should be some shared values. There should be some of that family-like feeling for me. Um, You're working with them so long. Yes. And sports is not a nine to five job, um, especially in baseball. Uh, And so if you want to have that kind of ability and you're going to spend that much time with someone, you need to make sure that it's aligned. 
pretty well. So, so with a culture question, and I could probably dive into this forever, but with a culture question, I feel like sometimes when you get into the cultures, like, all right, that person would be a good culture fit. But how do you or how have you in your experience uh, taken the good culture fit, but also incorporated diversity of thought, right? Because sometimes in good culture fits, you know, it's the, you, you don't want to get into groupthink. You want to be able to have diversity of thought. How have you had the culture in, uh, in one side, but also trying to create new and innovative thinking as well? Yes. And that's why you are such a good executive, Rob. <laughs> I don't know you, about that. You know how that all goes. And you know what? More recently, I think there have been um, much better, I would say, intellectual assessments, let's call them. Um, right. Because it absolutely is something that's so important. Again, going back to if you have an innovative culture, you can't have groupthink and you need to have different places represented. Um, a lot of it is, and, and you've heard me say this a zillion times at the Business of Baseball, is when we're hiring someone, we need to know what our current makeup is and what is going to complement that or add to it. You right. Know, I, your, I, your point. And so we need to know what we currently have in order to avoid groupthink. Um, and so sometimes it's like an EQI type thing. You know, we use um, strength finders. Or EQI, help me out. Emotional intelligence. So, and it's not, none of these, and this is the genius of it, I think, is that has evolved over time. Uh, none of it is a right or wrong, right? So if you yeah. have X profile and it's not Y profile, it doesn't mean you're wrong. That really shows the difference. And that is a avoidance of groupthink. So the Hogan and Strength Finders, there's, there's a zillion different assessment tools that we use. Um, but it's enough to try to say this person at their core thinks differently. And then part of it is their communication style and, you know, kind of their thought and how they approach things. You know, yeah. one, of, one of my more recent ones, you know, in Atlanta, when we did the emotional intelligence piece, my boss um, at the time, Mike Plant, and I yeah. had exactly polar opposite EQIs. So very complimentary, but literally opposite. <laughs> so literally, literally opposite. Literally opposite. I was, you know, super high in some areas, and he was very low in others. You know, and we matched up per perfectly. So I think that that piece of trying to make sure, you know, you have a variety. It's it's well beyond, I think, in this day and age, you know, gender and race to go through. But that still is kind of a core piece to take a look at is to try to make sure we get someone. I think it's a big reason why I would say in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, um, a lot of sports teams have been hiring people who are not from sports. Yeah, I think it, it's, uh, it definitely helps uh, in that in that way. It's just like gives you a different perspective on the on the world because no one wants to say well that's the way that we always done it because that's like a death sentence right. um exactly. but and when you get people you know uh, i've been in uh you know doing the same thing for 15 years 16 years you uh you start to say well this it's hard not to then when you bring in somebody that has a different point of view i think it kind of opens your eyes like oh wait there's like other stuff out there you know what i mean right Right. Or it makes you just challenged to say, you know, again, because especially in sports, there is that tradition type focus as well. And so when a new person comes in and challenges that or asks a question, I think it asks you to reevaluate at that time. Is this still effective? Is this something that resonates? You know, I, if I go to my current job, right, 
when we opened U.S. Bank, we started the school chant. And it is something that is now, you know, absolutely resonates with our fans and what we do here. But it's not something that's been around for all of our existence. Right. Really? I always thought it was. Yeah. I'm not a Vikings fan. I'm not, sorry, but uh, I did. I always thought that was a. I always thought that was a. I always thought that was a thing. So one of the things that you talk about, you were just saying, and we were kind of going down that path, is we talk about challenging things and you know looking at things different. And sometimes in a professional setting, that will uh, create uh, disagreements. And when I've seen professional disagreements in a meeting or uh, you know it, it, it internally, there's a way to navigate. Uh, professional disagreements, but I've seen some people like if you challenge them and the boss says, well, this is what this is, and they have a different point of view, sometimes they back off because, well, that's the boss. How do you think the best way to uh, attack a professional disagreement in a professional manner so that you get your point across uh, and then hearing the other person getting their point across? Because you don't want it to be contentious, but you also don't want it to be, you also want to have the ability to challenge, but in a professional way. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes, for sure. I, you know, my probably most um, challenging situation is politics and that kind of uh, navigating. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. I think the, what I have gotten to at this point um, in my life and my career, I would say is that I like to know that I have said my piece in a professional way that is absorbable, absorbable. So, yeah. um, The part of, you know, where I said earlier, it's all about relationships. You need to have a pretty solid relationship in order to agree to disagree, let's say. Yeah. But I always will encourage people to bring up a point and and either in a question or um, in some fashion to make sure that that dissension is heard. Someone is always going to outrank you at any point in time, unless you're the owner. Yeah, right. Um, at some point. Yeah. But the point of it is, if you're having this discussion, and even if there is dissension, you're hopefully gathering all of the data you can to make the best decision possible. And so if you kind of attack it to me from that perspective to say, I want to make sure that this point is thought of. Um, and it's up to the leaders, of course, to try to make sure that they're listening to all points of view. That's probably one of our more common you know, managerial type trainings is to make sure that you are an active listener. <laughs> um, yeah, right. And trying to trying to bring all those pieces in. But, you know, a lot of people uh, maybe underestimate their value um, in the perception area. So, right, someone is brand new to the organization and they feel like, oh, well, I don't really know anything. Um, you know, I came in here, I've been here about 14 months. If I came in and said nothing as the new, you know, people yeah. culture leader, that would have not added any value at all. I'm not saying that all my ideas were perfect, but again, those characteristics of are you comfortable in your own skin? You, do you value your own opinion, right? Is right. why you're bringing it up. The issue of right or wrong is often where people, I think, go south, is they feel like I need to be the person who's right, right? I need to win the argument. Um, And it's a bigger picture philosophy, you know, to go through. And again, gather all the information you can to make the best decision possible. And if you kind of look at it along those lines, it's a little bit different. It's not really a combative type thing. And so, you know, the next time, if anybody's listening and listening to this, the next time you get into one of those professional disagreements, 
try to figure out what the two people are arguing about. And, yeah, right. and often it is more of a win versus getting to the right answer. And sometimes I think it's uh, empathetic too, right? Is yes. you kind of under if you can kind of understand where they're coming from, and then maybe you can put your point in a position that's similarly aligned, but might be different. But you can frame it as a way of like, I hear what you're saying. Let's just look at it from the left instead of the right. Does that make yes. if that makes sense at yeah. all? And it's it's part of the to me like a never ending learning process. No, no, yeah, nobody right. knows no everything. one's going to get it perfect. Yeah, nobody knows everything. And so when you're bringing something up, it, it should be in that context of, you know, here's what's happening. Let's talk about this. If it's something also, it's again, I put a lot of this on leadership often is if this is not something that is up for discussion, you shouldn't open it up that way. Right? <laughs> right. Um, but you right. Know, if someone brings it up, then you should you know, have the conversation. You should, you should teach them why you're going in that direction. Understanding the why is the other complement of professional curiosity, right? So you can't ask people to be curious and then not allow them to kind of go through the vetting process of how that decision was made. So, and you know, some, uh, some leaders are better than others, you know, again, nobody's good at everything. But yeah. that is definitely one where the navigating it is important. And often when I'm, maybe deconstructing it with individuals that have gone too far. Yeah, that, that um, happens occasionally too. Yeah, that I ask them, okay, what have you gained from this? You know, what, so now you argued this to death and you stomped out of the room or whatever ended up happening. Now what? Yeah, right. right uh, no, yeah, what, how, how are we better off now than we were then? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's and all the hindsight you, you is 2020, but, you know, hopefully people can learn from it. But I think that that part of, again, the framework really should be we're having this conversation. You know, like today, for example, we're meeting on our strategic plan. And there's going to be a very lively, healthy debate about it because it's, you know, a different framework, different leadership. We're trying to put together, you know, what's next now. Um, and there will be some healthy, healthy debates. That's okay. Um, healthy debate is good. Yes. Yes. But it's really important. The people that are there, they all need to speak up in order for this to be an effective document. So I, I, I agree with you. And, uh, that's going to sound, it's going to, that's going to be a fun, but probably stressful process, but, uh, I'm <laughs> yes. sure you'll, I'm sure you'll, uh, you'll, you'll make it through, but, um, you know, I look at you uh, as someone I look up to, uh, and what you're trying to do. It's just been uh, amazing your whole career, and you know, you've been your uh, vice president of an NFL team, one of the most prestigious positions there, and the all and one of the great uh, organizations in American sport. You got a million people looking up to you, but now I feel uh, that the empowerment of women has never been so strong as it is today, and it has a lot, well, a lot to grow and continue to grow. As a vice president of an NFL team, do you feel an extra, you know, responsibility? I guess, uh, you know, for the empowerment of women. I know that you're big in in in, in part of uh, in uh, you know some of the organizations that help uh, empower women uh, in sports specifically. Do you feel like there's an extra responsibility? Is there more excitement going on? What's your feeling about the way that that culture, the way that that is uh, kind of progressing now than maybe it has been before? Well, first, I'm honored that you or anyone would look up to me, but especially I you, do, absolutely, I know 100%. All, all of what you've done in your career as well. Um, I, I think, you know, over time, and I, yes, I've always been involved in those different uh, groups and organizations that try to advance women. 
in baseball and football in particular, I think we are all focused on that, partially from what we just talked about, a little bit of the avoiding the group think to try to yeah. put it in. I think one of the areas that is fascinating to me over time is how women have positioned it. Um, certain, certain leaders have said it's a requirement, right? to have women in those positions. Um, some people have positioned it in the sense of women have buying power and for a business reason, that's important. Um, other people have just said flat out, you know, women are equal to men, right? right. Um, the part for me at this point, you know, and there's for us, I'm, I'm really happy that we have um, four vice presidents in our group that are, are women. But it's four out of, let's say, 21 in total if I talked about our leadership team. And so it's a it's a never ending, I think, process right now for us to go through. And even if I go back to literally 1991, when I started in public accounting, there was two female partners um, in my firm at the time. And when I asked them, you know, what their number one goal was, they said when they retired that there was more female partners than there were today. Huh. And I will say easily, every female I've met in any kind of leadership position has that mentality is, you know, it's kind of moving an aircraft carrier and, you know, trying to not stereotype any female um, and not trying to stereotype anybody's situation is really difficult because there are some women who are very complimentary um, in the sports realm. And there are some women who try to purposefully stand out. Um, and so every situation, just like every culture, is very different. Um, and I continue to watch and encourage. And in one of my personal things, and it's difficult sometimes, truthfully, um, is that I never want to tear down any female in any leadership position because there are so few of us. And, you know, I think there are some other sports that um, I would say have found a better way to put things together. Um, but, you know. How so? <laughs> ongoing. I'm not sure I answered yeah. your question specifically. It, no, it's, no. It's a great question, and I often get it, especially now in NFL. Um, it seems more prominent than it was in baseball as a kind of um, focus point. Really? Saying, that's you know, interesting. That's interesting. Why do to women me. want to be in the sport? Um, what do you think is missing? Um, Justine Siegel, you know, is a very prominent female to me in the baseball world in regards to you know girls can play. She got her so, uh, grad you know, uh, degree have, at Springfield um, College. A few women also. We have some women football teams as well, um, and there are some girls can play kind of concepts from all the teams, just trying to teach them the basics of the sport when it gets to where we are, right, it's in the business side. I'm not a coach. I'm in the business side, but there still is underrepresentation. So with, with uh, the young women that are, uh, that are listeners uh, to this, to this podcast, what are some of the things that you would say uh, that uh, words of encouragement or words of like, Hey, let's, uh, what, what would you say to them of like um, to help them uh, jumpstart their career? You know, I think there is that aspect of professional curiosity again. You know, what I what I appreciate right now is when we get a high schooler, um, you know, so for example, right now we have a Gen Z board and we have some women on that board. And 
getting them exposed to it now, you know, still just similar to baseball, I think a lot of people still don't understand all the different opportunities in sports. And so the younger I think people start and the more relationships they start at a younger age, the better off they will be. Um, And there's some great, I would say, uh, national organizations like WISE, for example, uh, that help people understand, you know, women in sports and events. so I think those different areas are things that I continue to ask. And I ask them to do things like this. Listen to podcasts. Listen to Rob Crane. Yeah, please, um, please. Yeah. We need, yeah. More downloads are better. <laughs> yes. Listen to individuals who are already in that industry. You know, go to those extra things. Volunteer for different events. Um, you know, try to be on the game day staff. I, I still, even in the NFL. Be on the game day staff. Why is that? Well, you know, that part of knowing the behind the scenes, and I still feel very strongly, and you can tell me if you do this or not, but if you have a game day staff who is just stellar and they're always going above and beyond, I would guess that you would recommend them for anything. Right, 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 right. No. They know the they know what the fan is experiencing, which is really why the hell we're trying to do any of this. Right. If you have that understanding and that empathy, and then really to me, it's kind of just basic street cred. Um, that if you are on the game day staff and you've worked, especially in baseball, the king of sports to me, um, if you worked all of those games and you continue to have that good attitude, people want to be around you. That's a good way to do it. And you can start that when you're 16. I love that. Right? I love that. You don't that. have to do it when you're 22. <laughs> you you're know? right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You can start working as an usher or a ticket taker at yeah, 16 years old. Just right. go do it. Right. So one of the things that you were kind of saying, it, it, it was way it was kind of going, um, in, in, at least in my head, was professional development. I feel like people ask those, you know, they're, they're in interviews or uh, the interviewee is, is asking about professional development. But I also see it can like be easily swept under the rug once you kind of get into it. Uh, how do you see professional development and how do you uh, keep that kind of on the front burner uh, of, 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 of a conversation? You know, that's a really great question. And one recently I just was talking to some of our leaders about. I think professional development is still always going to be at the core of it with the individual. Um, The organization, you know, and in my role, obviously, I facilitate a lot of those things. Um, You know, there's a couple different ones that I often will point to for people to say, here's a good starting point for organization wide. Um, But people learn in different ways, right? I'm a visual type of learner. And whether that's a public speaker or there's a presentation, there's a lot of people that are book learners. Um, But it doesn't stop once you're out of college. And again, back to that professional curiosity thing. Those people that have that desire to continue to learn, whether it's through talking to Rob Crane, whether it's listening to a podcast or reading a book or attending a class, it's really, really critical because, you know, on technology, for example, it changes by the second. Um, You know, now it might be TikTok versus Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you know, all those types of pieces. But those people with the ongoing desire for professional development, and it has to be internally there. You know, even if I hold a class, there's probably someone who's there because it's required and they're going to fall asleep. <laughs> right? Those yeah, people right. who are engaged and asking questions and paying attention, even in a customer service class, 
that's how professional development is going to stay relevant. And, you know, um, this has been a longstanding kind of philosophy to me in sports is that the people who are self-motivated and take their own initiative for their own career are always going to be the all-stars always. And so, you know, like people who are listening to you right now are those people who go above and beyond. I've, uh, I don't know about that, but, uh, <laughs> I'm sure, that, uh, but, uh, I, I do think that this is one of the things and, uh, I've got, uh, twin sisters who are 20 years younger than me. So they are a freshman in college right now. And, uh, I was just saying that, uh, telling someone is like, they go, Oh, I'd love to have extreme job. And I'm like, all right, what are you doing uh, to accomplish that? And I hear crickets, Laura, can you talk some damn sense into my twin <laughs> sisters about saying like, let's get going. Cause they're quote unquote, just freshmen. It's never too, uh, it's never too early. Right. You just right. said 16 year olds, go get the, yes. uh, take a taker job. Yeah. The, the issue is, is the more elite the job is the bigger, the competition is what I right. often tell people. And so you can't start when you're 22. Um, and especially if you're looking at some dream job, you know, in entertainment in specific, you're competing against people that might have done this for years and years and years. And so often I will tell people if a is I'm working at the, at my professional favorite NFL team or MLB team or soccer team, whatever it is, you have to figure out what B and C is because there's always a right time, right place for those super elite jobs, right? There's only 32 football teams. There's only 30 baseball teams. And so if A is working at one of those teams, you know, B might be I'm working with Coca-Cola or Pepsi, who is a sponsor of one of those teams. Or um, C might be I'm working with Corporate America that is a sponsor of a team that is doing some similar types of jobs. And so people often get lost in that it's, you know, navigating in a different way for your career, but you definitely have to start early. And again, that's the story you tell in your interview is here's what I've been doing because this has been my focal point for my whole entire life. And here's what I've done to try to build up for it. Yeah, yes. So Carly and Katie, if you're listening, listen to Laura, please don't, you don't have to listen to me. Listen to Laura. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, last question. You started with the Tigers, and uh, and you know, and we talked about it with Disney. Uh, what are some professional traits that you think that you have grown the most over your career, and what do you think people can learn uh, from those traits and from the, from that growth? You know, probably the one I will say from you know back 1998 until now. Um, is how you display your passion. Um, what do you mean by that? If I look back on how I, again, maybe it was navigating one of those dissenting conversations <laughs> or something that I felt very strongly about, I would say my passion sometimes displayed itself more emotional versus passion. And over time, again, through assessments and some other things and some professional coaching that we have opportunities on as you grow in leadership, uh, I've learned to communicate it in a different way. So my articulation of that passion has been something where, again, all about relationships, right? Everything is all about relationships. Everything how they is. Work. And my passion for what I love and what I'm good at 
now I think is absorbed better and easier because it is not so polarizing at times. You know, again, back in 1998, I might have, you know, cried, got ar- you know, argumentative, yeah, really, whatever, because I'm so upset about something and not because I'm mad, but just because literally I was so passionate about wanting it to go a certain way. Um, and gaining that perspective over time has really been something that I feel like I can feel comfortable I've grown in and I try really hard to maybe advance others learning curves on that to say it's great to be passionate about things, but you have to understand people are trying to absorb that passion and balance it and work with it. And sometimes it gets to a point where they just are backing off because it's too much. (laughs) It's too much. It's really not. It's really not about what you're saying, but it's really about how you're saying it and how exactly. you're communicating it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's uh, this whole thing. Laura, I could probably talk to you for 16 hours about this, and I guess on a podcast you could, but we both kind of have things to go to. <laughs> <I know. laughs> but I know. thank uh, you so much. Hopefully, it was helpful. This was awesome. This was like awesome. That. You were great. You were great, and I'm so appreciative of your time. Uh, I'm so thankful that uh, the relationship uh, that we've built, I look up to you. Uh, you're just doing such great things, and uh, I'll definitely keep an eye about what's going on in, uh, in Minneapolis. By the way, Minneapolis in the winter, eh, Minneapolis in the summer, I've been there. Awesome yes. city. Yes. Awesome stuff. Well, I look forward to having you come out here and visit. I can't wait. Yes. I can't wait. Come I'm going gonna, gonna to have we'll to do that. give you a tour. I can't, I, I, I can't wait. So uh, thank you a million times over again. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Take care. All right. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.